Welcome to Relationship Mastery, a podcast for those who want to learn how to master the art of creating happy, healthy, and loving relationships. Please join me, Del Lady Jones, and my co-host, Barry Selby, each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for a lively and informative conversation on everything to do with relationships. I'm very excited about today's topic because it's it follows on from what we were talking about last week when we were talking about those relationship um, patterns that we learn or those generational patterns and sometimes it's really funny and I know you can relate to this too but we you know we find these patterns within our relationships you know we might be in a relationship and we end it and we and we we saw everything that was you know wrong in that relationship and we're never going to do that again and and then we change partners and then before we know it it's like oh my god here I am again I, I'm with the same person and the same dynamics are showing up. And so, um, yeah, I think this is a great topic. So um, why don't you go ahead and share some of your insights on that? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's like the dosey do um, You know, it's, it's like you, you change partners, but the same, same stuff shows up. Mm-hmm. Let me share a couple of my own personal um, repeat cycles so I can just illustrate before I get into the explaining why and what, what we do with it. Um, I have a couple of patterns that I'm very clear in my own life. I mentioned last week's episode, I think I mentioned about, um, I was raised in a very nice family. I'm using the term loosely, but very, we were very, we were very basically repressed is the best word I would use. We weren't very emotionally expressive or loud or volume. And my parents never, as far as I remember, my parents never argued in front of the kids. So we had a very level, level quality, or I should say low volume communication. We didn't raise our voices, so to speak, very much, because that was not, that was frowned upon. So that became one of the disruptive influences in my dating life. In my early dating experiences in my teens and 20s, I would get together with somebody I was attracted to. We would have a nice time. Things would go great. But with a month, within a month, maybe maybe two months at most, she would we get there'd be something going wrong. And she'd get upset and she basically would raise her voice or she would get upset with me. And I would shut down and quit. And I'd leave. Now, the wiring I had realized, didn't realize until afterwards was is that I had a belief in my, my circuit, so to speak, that arguing and love didn't go together because argument was upset, was whatever it was, it was the opposite for me of what loving was. Mm. So I believed, without knowing any better, that any relationship that didn't have harmony all the time was not going to work because it wasn't loving. I missed out on all the good stuff like makeup, sex, and everything else. But the reality was, it was a it was a programming that I carried on for quite a few years into my probably mid late twenties before I figured out what was going on. So fast forward now to something else. This is, this is actually what launched me into my own work. I had three relationships in a row, and I vividly remember each of those three relationships, where I clearly saw and I was much more aware of my own self at this point. The same thing happened in each one. However, it took the last one to be the most um, demonstratively described and um, explained to me what I was doing wrong. <laughs> I think you're being very polite again. Yes, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean partly, to be honest, partly because I've done all the work and so I don't mm-hmm. feel so upset by it. But secondly, mm-hmm. it almost amuses me because looking back in hindsight, that breakup pushed, pushed me, moved me, inspired me, drove me into the work I've been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah. And so I, I should, if I ever see her again, I'll be thanking her for her vitriol because it was what gave me the the, the, the seeds that launched my work and what I do and the reason why I do the work I do. Because mm-hmm. what happened was 
those relationships and 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 over the many years including usm i was really doing deep spiritual work and a lot of open-hearted work and what was happening was i didn't realize i was becoming more heart-centered than anything else so i wasn't being like driven driven by by my cojones and my balls sort of thing i was like you know i was being nice all the time so a lot of women i was going out with actually were leading the way because i wasn't mm -hmm. taking charge of myself i wasn't leading and the last relationship of those three she asked me out she basically ran the relationship and interestingly when I look back at her she and she wasn't my usual type you know she she had very short hair she was fairly petite she was had a very boyish figure too i mean the signs were very clear mm -hmm. however i missed them totally <laughs> it's like missed totally on my head <laughs> but the thing was at the end of that she said to me what wasn't working was i didn't take charge and run the relationship like she wanted me to, even though she saw me initially in leadership roles out in the place where she saw me. So she thought that's the way I was in relationship. Mm -hmm. Not the case. I basically, I was abdicating my role and I'm clear about that. I know what I did quote wrong, mm -hmm. but it's because I didn't want to offend. And then, so this ties back into my family dynamic too, like you don't offend. So taking charge for me felt like I'd be, um, I don't want to say pushing is the wrong word, but I would be su sort of suppressing her freedom if I took charge kind of thing. And it was I'm totally made up stuff because it wasn't what I didn't ask her anything like that. Anyway, so at the end of it, she said, do you want someone like her grandfather was? He was this cowboy back in the Midwest who took charge around the show, actually a very macho guy. I mean, she showed me a picture of the old black and white grainy, actually probably sepia tone picture of a grandfather who had like, you know, the, the, the um, uh, what do you call the film things, the chaps, you know, the chaps and, and the boots and everything else. And I'm like, I'm never going to be that. <laughs> anyway, so, so the ratio ended dramatically at that point, but that's what really inspired the work I've been doing for the last, say, 15 years, 16 years. Um, interestingly enough, her she was actually getting divorced at the time we went out, and her ex-husband and I had become good friends, and we were very similar, surprisingly enough, because mm. that was her back. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you so, so, so sorry, I, you, so you tell some of yours, then I'll explain the, 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 what, what the mechanics of this are, so people yeah. understand what we're talking about here. Yeah, no, actually, I was feeling, I was, I was feeling compassion for, for some men that, you know, there, you know, there is this expectation of be a man, but, but at the same time, be a soft, sensitive, loving, nurturing, loving man. And sometimes I think it's, it's, you know, but I think it can go the other way too, and and this could be another show, but about the male female roles that we take on and what's expected of us, and I equally so I think there's a lot expected of women now too. You know, they they're not just the homemakers and the nurturing and the loving and raising the children; they're expected right. to work outside of the home as well and do everything within the home. So it goes both ways. Um, the, the expectations that we can have of our partners. So, um, you know, when you were sharing that, I was thinking about my own, um, you know, what was modeled for me. And I, we mentioned this last week and I was saying that there's that, um, you know, arguing and fighting was very common in my house. So I didn't, that was, I was never afraid of that. Right. But I so also realized. That's so different from mine. Very different, yeah. <laughs> but also um, that um, being raised by a, a single mother never seeing her in relationship with a man. She had relationships, but they lived elsewhere. But yes. I realized that I, um, I'm i very comfortable taking taking the lead in a relationship because I just, 
it's I've seen it. I've seen that was yeah. what was modeled for me was this strong, independent woman who who did it her way. And so it's it is fascinating. Um, you know, as much as I was attracted, as I said, to these sort of narcissistic types that looked like they were powerful and, and confident and everything like that. I can't bear to be controlled. And they are very controlling types. So we had, we had, um, I was not the shrinking violet. I was not the, I was constantly pushing back, constantly fighting for my independence. Um, So that's, it's, it's so, as we said, it's so great when you see these patterns, but um, yeah, carry on with your story. I want to hear more about um, (laughs) what happened. The thing is, I mean, and just to add to one piece, what you said about that thing about how we are meant to be, in relationship nowadays to men and women. I just had a video of one of my Facebook lives from six years ago pop up in my memories on Facebook, where I talked about, you know, how do we date after Me Too? Because the mm-hmm. Me Too conversation, which is not done yet, I hope, really was bringing to light where her men have been mistreating women for many years. And so the next iteration, which we could do is another show probably, about how do we date in the modern time, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Definitely something to be discussed. So, okay, back to this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's tempting to go all over the place, I know. For me, um, as I mentioned, these cyclic patterns, these repeat cycles of having several relationships in a row where the same thing happened, I didn't get a real clue the first time it happened when I was in my teens and 20s because I didn't have any awareness at that point. But certainly this the last batch <laughs> that I had were very much informative to me and I knew something had to be done and I knew it was inside of me. The first thing... I mentioned this more, more than once in our previous episodes about awareness being the first step. Is mm-hmm. I, I, when I was aware and going, hang on a second, I've been here before. Not only that, but it's a different person I'm with. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the only thing that's common to all of those relationships is me. Exactly. So, so whatever is going on, I think I better look in the mirror first. And that was the thing that was a change because like most people probably, when I was early on, I would just be blaming the other person. It's like, oh, it's not my problem, it's theirs. You know, I'm just moving on from somebody else. And unfortunately, many people do date and have relationships where if it doesn't work out, they don't look at it with any sense of um, (laughs) forensic insight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They just go, okay, done, next sort of thing. And so Mm -hmm. taking the time to actually, especially if you have had repeat patterns or as... as, um, was as Ron Hollick, one of the faculty at USM says, like serial dating. Mm-hmm. Whereas it'd be the same, it'd be a different relationship, but the same pattern, the same experience. Even though the face changes and even though the personality changes, the same stuff shows up. So the key is to start looking inside. And it was a game changer for me. That that last paradigm that I was in where I was being the nice guy and letting the women run the show and not being in charge is because my my reference points inside were a duality or a, di- a dyad between being the nice guy or being the bad boy. That was the only reference I had of how to be a man in the relationship field. And and my dad was kind of a blend of the two because he was a nice guy, but kind of very withheld because of being stoic, English, reserved, Jewish type man. Didn't mm-hmm. know how to express emotions, so he was very rigid. And I didn't want to do that. I was, I was averse to that. So I became more emotional and more expressive but didn't have the hardness or the strength of being the manly man type thing. And I didn't want to be that. I'd felt how constrictive that was, but also found how it didn't respect other people. It was so bullish in its way. It was, it was arrogant almost. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. And so mm-hmm. after that last breakup was when I was basically saying, God, give me a clue, give me a sign. 
through some interactions and meeting somebody brand, somebody very new a few months after that, I found the work that I've been studying since that point, which is really the discovery of what it meant to be a masculine man in the world. Because I, there's no classes teaching that up to that point I've been through. And I've been in the personal development field for many, many years. And we never touched on that part of the conversation about masculine, feminine polarity. Mm -hmm. I'm battle with that. I've been studying it with it, teaching with it, practicing it for years now. So I understand exactly what I did wrong back then, or I should say what it did ineffectively back then, because I didn't know better. You know, if you know better, you do better, ideally. Yeah. So for me, discovering there was a third choice to be in the world, to be a masculine man, which is different from being macho or nice guy. Mm -hmm. Transformation for me. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And it, it is, it's, as you say, it's awareness. And I think I mentioned on the last show, so I don't re totally repeat it, but you know, after my last um, narcissistic relationship that was really wounding to me, um, by the time I had licked those wounds and felt ready to come out again and, and try again, it was the same type again, but I saw it so much, so much quicker this time. And then, so I ended that relationship. Then I got into another one very, very quickly. I mean, I say relationship, dating. Yeah. So, but I saw immediately that pattern. It was like, oh my God, you're still attracted to the same type. Haven't you learned your lesson? So I took that time off. And um, as I mentioned before, that, that 18 months, whatever it was, and um, to, to do that work on myself, to really understand what was that conditional patterning that I was just acting out from. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, we can change it. It's, and so, yes. like last week, the, the change, I mean, the work doesn't even say the word work, but it's fun. It's fun to explore, you know, yeah. the, our psyches. It's fun to find out oh, that's what's running the show. I always say that, you know, I, um, before doing the work that I, that I do, you know, there was a there was a three year old running the show. There was a wounded little inner child that yeah. was going out on my date. She was going for work, you Absolutely. know, interviews and and things like that. And you know, really, do you want this like this wounded child to be to be showing up in your relationships and and in work and every in life in general? And so, um, the more that we do have an understanding of ourselves, we recognize the patterns. We recognize that it doesn't matter how many times we change our partner. It's going to be, you know, different face, different body, but it's going to be the same person again and again and again until yeah. you do, you know, go on that exploration. And like I said, a fun exploration of really understanding ourselves. It, it is it is a discovery process, definitely. And mm -hmm. to me, I would I would actually agree with you, definitely. The the. It's going to say, sound weird to say this, but the joy of the exploration and the, and more importantly, the joy of the reunion, because I would say the work that really transformed for me was to want to go, when I went back to have a conversation in quotes with my younger self, to actually mm -hmm. to, to have a conversation, because just to be clear for anybody, for those listeners and viewers of our show, this programming we carry is something that we can change, first of all. It isn't, it isn't hardwired, thank God, but it's, a, it's become habitual because we were raised that way or because we've been defaulted to that behavior. So the key thing is, though, because, again, as I said earlier, it's within us. We get to do the investigation. We get to do the reflection, looking in the mirror, so to speak, to see ourselves. As an adult, that's not where the issue lies or the challenge lies. It's actually way back then. I think I mentioned last week about, I did mention last week about um, Bruce Lipton's work and about the unconscious. Mm -hmm. 
got this unconscious program running, so to speak, want a better word, that we can change the programming on. And the good news is, is that there is a three-year-old or a five-year-old in charge of that programming. So mm-hmm. the good news is that we have someone we can talk to. <laughs> so, and so for me, with the work I've, I've done this work many times myself and with clients, is to discover which part of ourselves, which younger aspect of us has been carrying that belief around like it's the law ever since that point. Yeah. So what we get to do then is to have a, a conversation and, and also a rearrangement of the agreement, so to speak, because ultimately any part of ourselves we talk to or have access to is never, it never has that detriment as its focus. It always has its belief is that it's taking care of us on some level, some way, keeping us safe, making us okay, whatever that is. And so when we get to discuss where we are, so to speak, with it's like having a, like a conference with our younger self, but to actually discuss and figure out what the wiring is, we say, you know what, the motivation is real and agreed, but the practice of how it's been done could use some change from transformations. So you don't make anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You, change, you change the wiring. And the great thing is, when we do realign that programming with our younger self, our adult self changes too. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing is, it's, I think it's really important to, um, as you said, to, um, to not berate ourselves or shame ourselves for an right. unconscious pattern that's been carried on through life. And it really is to love that wounded part of yourself, to care for that wounded part, you become the parent to that wounded part. You nurture, you take care of them. So there is no shaming or blaming. I mean, I say sort of in a joking way that the three-year-old is running the show, but it's that inner relationship that you have with that aspect of yourself is so important so that they get the attention they need, they get the love they need, they get to feel safe, and they don't sort of be acting out. And the other thing was... um, what I was going to say is, you know, I, I can, I, I know that there are certain things that um, habitual patterns that I did that, that served me as a child, 100%, you know, my fear of crowds. Well, there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that for many reasons of, you know, the, the, the community I lived in were, was, was not particularly kind to me or my family. Um, right. So being wary of crowds served me well as a child, it did not serve me well when I became an adult mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessary anymore either. You know, that as a young child, I was a little defenseless, but as an adult, I, I, I can cope with things. I can, I don't take things personally anymore. If you are going to verbally attack me, I well, let it roll off me. It's, you know, <laughs> you're, you're just sharing more about yourself than me, but right. But, so, but that habit carried on for so much of my life and I never questioned it. And the other one was, you know, as I say, what my interpretation of my father not acknowledging me, you know, I carried that through so many years of my life. I'm not mm-hmm. good enough. I, otherwise, he would have loved me. And it was like one day I woke up and went, wait a minute, hang on a minute. How can a young child not be lovable? And But it becomes so automatic, you don't even question it. That's, then, that's the key word, automatic. Exactly. Yeah. Automatic. And and when you really question, like, is that true? Could that possibly be true that I am unlovable because this man didn't acknowledge me? Of course it wasn't true. But I carried it for many years as it was a truth, that it was yeah. that I had proof 
I mean, that was my thing. But I have proof that it's true that I'm not good enough. And it's right. um, and yes, when we can untangle from that, we can untangle from that conditioning and see the freedom that comes from that. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing is, that piece, though, was really recognizing that it wasn't about you, it was about him. Yeah, about exactly. Brother. And that's the thing. We, we are, we're amazing creatures, you know, young kids, when we're young. We take things around us as being the law, the way things are. And when our parents tell us something, we tend to believe them because we think they know what they're doing. Well, and- let me add to that. What I say to that is not only do we think they know what they're doing, we need to believe that they know what they're doing because yeah. it's a very scary prospect for a young child to go, hang on a minute, the adults are a little crazy here. We would rather make ourselves crazy. We feel safer. And not only that, if our parents are right and we're wrong, we have a chance of changing the outcome because then we do that beginning of that self-improvement wagon starts at a very early age of they might be not taking classes or doing workshops or things like that. But they but that belief of of if I could just do better, I would be more I would be more loved or I'd be more confident or whatever. And it it starts at that very, very early age of blaming ourselves rather than seeing our parents doing the best they can, but not always adequately parenting us. Yeah, and that, that is that's fundamental and it's so true that, that that's one reason why I love doing work now as an adult because when we go out to work with a younger self, we become the protector. Yeah. So it's not parents' job anymore, which is one of the biggest freedoms. But it is in some ways such a gift to be aware of these things because for many people, and I know I've talked to people recently about this, where they've got beliefs and rules in their life they run, which they don't have any idea why they're there. Like mm-hmm. that's like that's the way things are. It's the law, you know. It's it's the clearest to them as it is the gravity keeps us on the ground. It's like it's not something mm-hmm. mysterious. I should say it's not something that's that's like easily fixed or mysterious in that sense. Like it's they go, this is the way it is, like clear, black and white. Yeah. And so when we realize when we can, when we choose to, when we work with somebody like us who has the skills to navigate to that place and realize that what we've chosen to believe is malleable and is not cast in stone, mm-hmm. we can actually change it to be more, more matching what we now know better because we're adults ourselves. And hopefully we have a better idea what life is about than when we did when we were kids. So we can then have a much more joyful, celebratory, successful, happy, fulfilling life going forward. Yeah. And I like the word you used. You said, it choice because it is a choice it's Absolutely. not a truth it's a choice as to how we perceive yeah events in our lives or patterns or anything and when we see that that right there is mastery knowing that we have a choice knowing Absolutely. that it's like you said not set in stone um so yeah it's a uh, yeah fascinating <laughs> I, love, I love having conversations with my inner child <laughs> and just but, but like that, she's the one that um, is fearful. You know, the adult part of me isn't fearful. You know, when right. I really realize, you know, who I am at my center and what I, you know, the inherent resilience and, and innate well-being and all those fabulous things and wisdom that is guiding me every day, there is, you know, very little to fear. I mean, we're not sort of in the room with a saber-toothed tiger, but that fearful thinking is coming from a habitual pattern of a very scared child. Right. And the thing is that that all that programming choices, default uh, behaviors that the younger child had created were all intended to keep it safe. Yeah. And, so it, and it, 
yeah, and yeah. it worked. Yeah. Now, it, yeah. now it's getting in the way. <laughs> That, yeah. <laughs> I was say, well, let me say, say another way, just because I want to clarify that one. It's yeah. it's impeding our progress, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's just a tiny little obstacle. And so we can we can thank um, you know, our egos or our inner chows, however we want to define them, for um for trying to protect us and trying to warn us and like remember, remember when, <laughs> remember when you did this and you fell flat in your face or whatever it is. But but to know that um, we are all human and we're all wonderfully, um, um, what's the word, fallible and, and, and that we are going to make mistakes and it's okay. And we don't need to be so protected and, um, and more open, whether it's to love or experiences or anything. Absolutely. So that's a nice little thing there. Nice little what, sorry? Little teaching we just given there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, how how do you want to end end on this note here for this show? I would say simply this: that whatever you've been believing that's limiting you isn't required to continue. Um, no, say another way. If you've been carrying beliefs that you feel like are limiting you, know that they can be changed. Be be willing to make the change yourself. And most of those beliefs you're carrying around have been built in to keep you, in quotes, safe, because when you were four or five years old, that's what worked. Now you're an adult, you can choose to change that. So it's worth looking at that clearly and using your past relationships as reflections of where maybe you went off track. Because again, we tend to repeat the same patterns with different partners. So ideally, if you had a couple of relationships, you'll see, ah, the common threads. Now I know what to So the signs are there. No, exactly. And I love what you're saying about the, you know, I I often if I get one of those fearful thoughts or that, you know, habitual thought moving through like, you know, whatever, you're not good enough or you're stupid or you're whatever. I just I my thing is like, is that helpful? It's like, is that helpful? And and it is, it's just energy moving through you anyway. It doesn't mean anything. I used to take it that, you know, every insecure thought I had was pointing a truth to me. It's just reminding you who you are. But it's not. It's just. It's just a habitual thought that's been around for so long. I often say it's like a. They're like squatters. They've taken up space in your head. <laughs> they've camped there so long you don't even know that they're actually, you know, invading your space. They. They're, they're not really meant, you know, to live there. So. So awareness yeah. is the first step. Become aware. Notice the squatters and decide what you want to do with them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this was another lovely conversation and um, have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you next week. More to come. See you then. Okay, great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We trust you enjoyed this episode and invite you to share this with your friends and loved ones. In fact, please subscribe to our Relationship Mastery podcast that we all get each new episode fresh and shiny as soon as it is released. We'd love to hear from you as well. So go ahead and enter your questions and comments at relationshipmastery.show. Take good care. We will connect with you in our next episode of Relationship Mastery.